All right, well, we're going to get started here. So welcome, everybody. Thank you for coming. Um, this is a, our Cato Institute's Hill briefing entitled E-Verify, the Impact of National Employment Verification on Work, Privacy, and Liberty. Uh, I am Peter Russo. I'm the Director of Congressional Affairs at the Cato Institute, and very happy to host today's program. So thank you all for coming. Um, in times of economic malaise and generalized discontent, it's predictable that many people will cast their eyes in search of a villain. Political parties get the lion's share of this blame, but they are also are the ones entrusted to fix the problem, while the other party is the one that, of course, caused it. Another popular punching bag as a group has probably contributed the least to these problems and yet bears a disproportionate share of unfounded angst and vitriol. I'm talking about new immigrants, guest workers, and aliens who have been swept up into an amorphous lump collectively, a scourge, a cause of America's ruin. Ben Franklin said of the Germans way back when, not being used to liberty, they know not how to make use of it. They're swarthy, etc. So in that tradition, and in the early polling success of Donald Trump as any barometer, Americans appear to want significant action on immigration, especially the illegal variety. Accordingly, there have been many proposals over the years to address various aspects of this, but today we'll focus on just one, national employment verification. On September 30th, the existing federal scheme, E-Verify, will sunset unless Congress grants another extension. Simply, E-Verify rules require that employers check the identity information of all new hires against government databases that either confirm or deny their right to work legally in the United States. At first blush, it may seem that such a system could be the very thing to stem the tide of illegal immigration, to turn off the jobs magnet. If we can deputize employers to act as a tool for interior enforcement, we can, once and for all, put a plug in this thing. So if illegal, immigration, if legal, illegal immigrants are barred from working, why they'll simply return or better not bother trying to cross the border at all, it's argued. Indeed, among the 2016 Republican presidential candidates, E-Verify seems to have near-unanimous support. On the other side, the Democratic candidates have said very little, if anything, leaving a gaping hole where there should be, at minimum, a solid knot of opposition. So today, we want to start a debate to highlight the manifold problems with this approach to dealing with illegal immigration, to explain the burdens it imposes, and to describe the impact it will have on a free society. So let's get started. First up will be Jim Harper, who is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute where he works to adopt uh, law and policy to the information age in areas such as privacy, cybersecurity, telecommunications, intellectual property, counterterrorism, government transparency, and digital currency. A founding member of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Data Privacy and Integrity Advisory Committee, Harper co-edited the, co the book Terrorizing Ourselves, How U.S. Counterterrorism Policy is Failing and How to Fix It. He has written several amicus briefs and Fourth Amendment cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, and is the author of Identity Crisis, How Identification is Overused and Misunderstood. His work, too, has been cited in numerous print, internet, and television media outlets, and he's written for America's leading news and public affairs publications. His scholarly articles have appeared in the Administrative Law Review, Minnesota Law Review, and Hastings Constitutional Law Quarterly. Harper holds a JD from the University of California, Hastings College of Law. Uh, Jesse Hahn is the Labor and Employment Policy Attorney at the National Immigration Law Center. There she engages in legislative and administrative advocacy focusing on protecting the rights of low-wage immigrant workers. She also provides legal counsel and strategic advice to support immigrant worker advocates around the country on legal and policy matters affecting immigrants in the workplace. Ms. Hahn is a graduate of Northeastern University School of Law, where she has a public interest law fellow and received a Peggy Browning Fellowship. Christy Boswell is Director of Congressional Relations for Labor Immigration at the American Farm Bureau Federation. There, she advocates Farm Bureau policy to Congress and to regulatory agencies on issues related to farm labor. This includes ensuring agriculture has access to a legal and stable workforce throughout, 
or through immigration reform, commenting on proposed regulations that affect agricultural employers and review of U.S. Department of Labor implementation of the Fair Labor, Labor Standards Act and Occupational Safety and Health Administration enforcement. Long sentence. Uh, prior to her work at Farm Bureau, Christy uh, practiced creditors' rights, labor and employment litigation, and general corporate defense in Omaha, Nebraska. And last but not least, Alex Narasta is the immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity, where he makes the economic and moral argument for fewer, fewer immigration restrictions and a more humane labor environment for workers. In uh, 2013, ABC News Univision listed Narasta as number 15 of the top 20 immigration experts to follow on Twitter, and to the best of my knowledge, they have not revisited this issue. But I'm certain his placement will be much higher today. His popular work has appeared in all the <clears throat> national media outlets, and his academic publications have appeared in the Journal of Economic Behavior and Organization, the Fletcher Security Review, and Public Choice. Alex has also appeared on Fox News, Bloomberg, and numerous televisions and radio stations across the United States. He is a native of my home state of California and received a BA in economics from George Mason University and a BS in economic history from the London School of Economics. So we're going to do things a bit different this time. Usually we fill up the bulk of the hour presenting our case, and if any time is left, we open it up to questions. But instead, we're aiming to take the first half hour only or so and leave the remaining time for Q&A. So to the extent that your lunch allows, let's please welcome Jim Harper. <laughs> To the extent that your lunch allows, I'll, uh, I hope I provide uh, uh, useful information in the discussion. Alex asked me to, to sort of provide a brief history of this issue, which I'll start with, and then go into some of the uh, elements of it that matter to me. Uh, I, I really focus on privacy, surveillance, and that kind of thing. Uh, and the, the upshot of the E-Verify system is that it requires a national ID to administer it well. If you want the system to work, you want every American to ca carry a national ID. I think that's a bad idea, and it should be a bad, uh, regarded as a bad idea no matter where you are on the immigration issue. Uh, we don't want a national ID because it's, uh, it's going to be used by the other guy to administer things against you that you might not like. But very briefly, I want to I talk about the history of, uh, of this issue and how we got here. To me, and looking around, I think I might be one of the older people in the room, to me, this policy is new. Uh, the first couple of jobs I had my employer did not have to check my name against my social security number, did not have to check my immigration bona fides. It was in 1986. I'd had a couple of jobs by that time. I can keep a job. Uh, I've now proven. Um, but in 1986, Congress passed the Immigration Reform and Control Act, which actually was the first iteration of a federal law that tried to use uh, internal enforcement of immigration law to curtail, to curtail immigration. IRCA created the I-9 form, which is something you're probably all familiar with, requiring employers to collect, uh, to, to look at the, the driver's license and the Social Security card of, the, of the, the new hire, collect that information and basically put that, put that information in a form somewhere. The law made it illegal to knowingly hire illegal immigrants. Over the course of the next 10 years, that law didn't change very much, and Congress revisited internal enforcement in 1996 in the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act. Uh, what matters for these purposes in that law was that it created a system called Basic Pilot. Basic Pilot took the next step after the I-9 and created a, a program for checking 
the name and social security number against federal government data. So a user of Basic Pilot, having collected the name and social security number of the worker, would then call up and say, I have this new worker. They would check in uh, with the government to see that the name and the SSN actually matched. Um, that provides some value, uh, though not a lot, because we've seen that uh, immigration rates have, have uh, illegal immigration rates have continued at about, at about the same rates. There's uh, rather widespread, always has been rather widespread uh, non-compliance. But Basic Pilot, uh, originally a not an online system because online really didn't exist back then, uh, was converted into or renamed as uh, electronic uh, EEV, and then subsequently to that, uh, renamed to E-Verify, which is good branding on an old concept of just checking the, the name against the Social Security number. Newer iterations, the next step in trying to quote-unquote improve this system involve gathering more information about workers so that more checks can be done. Uh, there's also already a photo enforcement tool where workers who are using some kind of federal documentation, for example, if they're a legal immigrant, they have a green card, uh, the E-Verify system will show a picture uh, to the employer, and the employer is supposed to review the picture against the person standing there and make sure that the picture is of the person that's coming to work for them. Uh, and, and we can predict that efforts to further strengthen, quote-unquote, or improve E-Verify will result in more collection of more information. Uh, there's already a program in place that some states are signing up to where they're sharing their driver's license data with the federal government so that that can be used for these new worker background checks. Um, let me talk, talk to you about this. So that's really, really a brief um, skipping over the top of the, of the development of, the, of this uh, policy. Let me talk to you about it in, a, in, in the abstract just a little bit uh, and describe why it concerns me, why this trajectory of the policy concerns me and should concern you and your bosses. Um, work is valuable. Work is how we support ourselves and work is how we support our families. Um, so just like native-born workers and legal immigrants, illegal immigrants very much want to work and that's what brings most of them to our shores. In order to stave this off in 1986, the policy of internal enforcement of immigration law uh, created, uh, took working. Uh, working was ordinarily, was, was previously, a thing anyone who was willing could do. If you wanted to work and you found an employer willing to use your labors, you could work. It took that natural right of the employer and employee to get together and made it into a federal right, a federally administered right. And the only way to administer that right is to have federal records about people and requiring employers to check against those federal records who's permitted to work. I've often said that the framers of the Constitution would spin in their graves to think that the federal government would decide who's allowed to work and who's allowed to hire whom. But the early policy of collecting a name and a social security number uh, created a little bit of a bar to people who were not legally in the United States, they had to come up with a name and a social security number. It's not that hard. Uh, names are pretty easy to invent and social security numbers are too. You just have to have the right number of numbers in what you provide to the employer. With, with, the, uh, with the extension of the policy to basic pilot, uh, workers going to work for employers who were participating in basic pilot had to do a little bit more 
they had to come up with a name and social security number pair that matched. That's hard, but it's not so hard that if you're going to make $30,000 more per year for doing so, you're not going to do it. And so the very, very simple identity fraud of creating a social security number uh, now became a slightly more complex identity fraud of accessing somewhere a name and number that match. And that's basically the policy we have today, though the push in E-Verify is to make it national so that every employer uh, and every worker will have to participate. And workers who aren't legally in the country will have to slightly deepen their identity frauds. They'll have to come up with a name and social security number pair that match. And probably because the system will search for this kind of thing, multiple uses of the same name and SSN pair, um, they'll probably have to come up with slightly original names and, and SSN pairs that haven't been used many, many times before. Uh, believe me, because of the value of working, they will deepen their identity frauds. You'll find a situation sometime not too far in the future, should this policy go forward, where identity fraud gets to the point that there will be a real contest between the person whose true identity it is and the person who's using that identity somewhere else, somewhere else in the world. Uh, you, some of your constituents, someone you know, uh, might find that your identity is so thoroughly taken that you can't prove better than the other person can prove that you're who you say you are. That's a little difficult, but it's a difficulty that people trying to work in the United States and people who are less well-educated than all of us in this room, uh, in, in poorer circumstances than we are, will have to face themselves. So E-Verify and this policy um, threaten our privacy, threaten the integrity of our, of our identities, and ultimately the best system, the ideal system, if you want E-Verify to work, as I suggested at the outset, is to have a national ID system, to have cradle-to-grave biometric tracking so that you really can prove who you say you are. But once you have that administrative system in place, it may be put in place for purposes that you think are good, but it may well be used for purposes that you don't think are good. So if you really, really want to see strong internal enforcement of immigration laws, watch for that national ID system to be used to control your access to housing, or to control your access to health care, or to control your access to guns and ammo, prescriptions, and a variety of other, other goods and services in our society. All of those things I listed have already been proposed for national ID systems in the United States. Bruce Schneier, who's, a, who's an, I think, an excellent um, computer security guru, whose thinking uh, extrapolates out to other areas, uh, said, and I'll, I'll misquote him, obviously, that it's poor civic hygiene to create technologies that could be used for tyranny. I don't believe that the U.S. faces tyranny any time in the near future, but our distant future is uncertain, and it would be a terrible mistake where no matter where you stand on immigration policy, to create a national ID system for one purpose and see it used for unfortunate purposes sometime in the future. Thanks very much. Thank you to Alex for having me today. Thank you for coming. Um, I think the main thing that I would like to try to impress upon you today is that E-Verify has been thought of in the past or in this context as an immigration-related initiative, but if it were to become a mandate, it would affect every single U.S. citizen, everyone who works, and many, many people who had never, never heard of it before 
would see themselves impacted by it. And so what I'm here to do is give you a better sense of the extent of that impact and how people would be affected who are US citizens, who are lawful permanent residents, who are immigrants who are authorized to work. So um, we've been working on E-Verify at the National Immigration Law Center since it was first created in 1997 as a basic pilot program. We've heard from many people over the course of that time about how erroneous non-confirmations have affected their ability to work. And the, the process that exists for the tentative non-confirmation, which is the name of the error message that E-Verify gives an employer, is that, so, so a new person goes into work, they fill out the I-9 form, and then the employer takes the information that's on the I-9 form and they enter it into the E-Verify database. There are two ways that an error can be returned. One is the person self-identifies as a US citizen and their social security database information does not match. The other is the person self-identifies as a non-citizen and U.S. Immigration Services, USCIS, cannot confirm that the person has work authorization. So those are the two ways that you get a tentative non-confirmation. If you get a tentative non-confirmation, that information is given to the employer. It's not given to the employee. In fact, the employee doesn't even have a legal right to know that a tentative non-confirmation has come back on them in the system. And remember, this is everyone. If this mandate becomes national, this is everyone, right? Who could, who could potentially be subject to this. So the tentative non-confirmation comes back to the employer on the website of E-Verify, and then the employer has the responsibility of communicating that to the employee, and the employee has eight federal government working days to try to go identify where in the system did the error arise. So what is the record within Social Security, within immigration, that has led them to get this erroneous non-confirmation. If they are not able within, um, if they, so two things. If they don't go within the eight days, the tentative non-confirmation automatically turns into a final non-confirmation. And then obviously if they're not able to um, re-fix re, uh, whatever the erroneous record was, then it turns into a final non-confirmation. And keep in mind that there's not a lot of transparency around the records that the agencies maintain. And so if you as an individual get this non-confirmation, you are going to have to start digging, but you might have to submit a Privacy Act request. You're going to have to do different things to figure out why is there an error associated with my name. And Privacy Act requests, on average, I think the last time they checked, it was like 100 days to get the results back. So you're talking about someone who thought they had a job, and they do not. So um, because employers, obviously, as soon as that tentative non-confirmation becomes final, they have to essentially fire the person, or else they're looking at sanctions. They're looking at monetary penalties, right? So. Here are some numbers for you to think about. The most recent audit on the error rate, the data, unfortunately, is old. It's from 2009. We haven't seen any more recent data published from immigration, which is kind of, we don't know why there's not more recent data, but the best data that we have is from 2009. And what it showed was that um, 
0.3% of everyone who was run through the system in 2009 got an erroneous tentative non-confirmation. And so depending on what kind of mandate we would be looking at, in other words, there have been kind of two different things that have been proposed if E-Verify were made a national mandate. You could either verify only the new people being hired going into the future, or you could require verification of your entire existing workforce. If the mandate were only, re only verify new people, new hires coming in, then that error rate would translate into 170,000 people getting an erroneous tentative non-confirmation. 170,000 US citizens, lawful permanent residents, and work authorized immigrants, so refugees, people who have a work permit. Based on these, the best numbers that we have, we actually think the numbers would be higher, but that's the best data that we have. If you were to require re-verification of the entire US workforce, then the number goes up to 440,000 US citizens, lawful permanent residents, and work authorized immigrants who are getting an erroneous tentative non-confirmation. So they have to go through that process of within eight days, they have to contact the agency, have to figure out where the record is wrong, correct it, et cetera, right? And the, the little bit of studying that's been done on this has shown that obviously people lose work time and sometimes they lose their jobs. There is an even more disturbing number when you're talking about erroneous final non-confirmations, because an erroneous final non-confirmation is you're losing your job completely. This is now we're past the question of the eight-day window and have you tried to figure it out with the agency. Those numbers, so the best data that we have, again, is 2009, 0.15% of all workers run through E-Verify had erroneous final non-confirmations. So if you were to only verify new hires coming in, that's 86,000 people who lose a job because of an error in the E-Verify database. If you were to verify, re-verify everyone in the US workforce, 220,000 people losing their jobs. And these are people who've never heard of E-Verify. They've never you know, thought anything beyond, oh, I start my first day of the job and I fill out an I-9 and that's all and now they're gonna be losing their jobs, and so that's a real consequence that the system has, and even if you want to argue that as far as databases go, that's a relatively good error rate, it's also the case that this is a database that controls people's access to their livelihoods. This is your job, this is not some other kind of error that doesn't you know, impact you on this level. So that's the primary, um, point that I wanted you guys to take away from the presentation, from my presentation today. Um, and there are also, the data does also show that um, when you start to disaggregate the error rate, the error rate is much higher for people who are green card holders, lawful permanent residents. It's about four times higher. And then if you are a work authorized non-citizen, so if you're a refugee, or otherwise, you know, you have some kind of immigration status that does give you a work permit, the error rate for those people is 27 times higher than a US citizen. So those are people who immigration just decided should be able to work, and yet under this system, the probability of them getting an erroneous non-confirmation is very, very high. So um, I'm not sure how many minutes that is, but I think I'm gonna stop there. <laughs>
Thank you all for coming. Uh, I was asked to speak about the impact of mandatory E-Verify on the agricultural industry. Uh, first, I'd like to explain a little bit about American Farm Bureau. Uh, we're the largest general ag trade association. Our state federations are in all 50 states and in Puerto Rico. Uh, and our policy development, which is, is what guides me here on the Hill and where I'm advocating, uh, is very grassroots from farmer to county, county to state, and state to federal level. Uh, and so what our policy reflects is hopefully, anyway, the goal is what will actually work on the ground. Uh, we come at the E-Verify issue a little bit differently than these other organizations. Uh, we represent farmers uh, who are employing uh, anywhere between 1.5 to 2 million workers. A large percentage, nearly 70% of this workforce, is unauthorized to work in the United States. We also utilize the H-2A uh, visa program, which right now uh, is a very cumbersome program. It's very costly. And as a result, it only accounts for about 5% of our labor force. Looking at uh, this issue, the immigration issue broadly, the ag labor issue broadly, uh, it's a priority issue for us, and it's all about making sure we can access a legal labor force uh, and a stable labor force. We don't generally oppose mandatory verify so long as we have a solution that provides us access to a legal labor force. So our policy reflects more not on the intricacies of E-Verify, uh, but more on making sure uh, if we have to use mandatory E-Verify as employers, uh, we have access to a legal workforce. Um, um, so uh, our policy actually specifically calls for uh, an adjustment of status for our current worker, workers and also a new flexible guest worker program before those two things are in place, uh, we will oppose any effort to move mandatory E-Verify. Uh, it'll be devastating for the industry, frankly. Uh, American Farm Bureau did a labor study last fall uh, that showed an enforcement-only approach on immigration reform, uh, production falls in the industry 30 to $60 billion, and food prices rise also 5 to 6%. Uh, if any industry loses up to 70% of their workforce, Assuming, again, E-Verify works the way it should work uh, and it's flagging these individuals who don't have proper authorization, uh, we can't sustain. Uh, and, and no business could sustain losing that um, large segment of their workforce. Uh, there also are a lot of unique, because of the nature of the industry, unique concerns we have with E-Verify. Uh, for instance, a lot of our hires are done on the side of a road in rural areas. So there's not access to broadband. There's not access to an HR department where uh, all of this processing and paperwork can be completed. And so these are things that we've talked to DHS about already, USCIS, and saying, if we're going to have to do this, assuming, again, we have access to a legal labor force, make sure it works on the ground. And, and agriculture has those very unique needs that have to be addressed before uh, our employers can use this program. Um, there is HR 1147 out there. Uh, American Farm Bureau opposes that bill because, again, there is no substantive piece of legislation that is moving along with it um, or uh, combined with it that provides us access to a legal labor force. Uh, we are working with Chairman Goodlatte and the Judiciary Committee and the committee staff on preparing that piece of legislation. Uh, and uh, until that legislation is ready and moving, um, we will continue to oppose any effort to move mandatory verify. We just can't take the risk of having that impact on the industry uh, and kind of hold out hope that that true subsidy of ag labor reform 
is coming down the pipe. Uh, it's got to happen at the same time. Uh, we've made that very well known to leadership, uh, and you know, Chairman Goodlatte knows it as well. And, and to his credit, really wants us to provide wants to provide us that substantive solution. And knowing that our industry uh, is very vulnerable vulnerable right now with the instability in our labor force. Um, but as we all know, the politics of the issue when you start lumping into that broader immigration debate become very complicated. But we continue to work hard. Uh, to advocate for that, and we'll continue to oppose, again, mandatory verify without access uh, to that program, to those programs and the status adjustment for our current workers. Uh, I'll leave you kind of with one uh, point, I guess, of from the employer perspective, at least from the agricultural employer perspective. We want to play by the rules. We are verifying our workers now. I always say unauthorized, not undocumented. They have documents. The documents just aren't quite as good as they look. And it is a misperception that these workers are paid under the table, that we're trying to um, skirt the rules in any way. That isn't the case. Uh, we, again, want to play by the rules. But we have to have access to a legal labor force before we can do so. Uh, I would love to say that American workers will start coming out and doing the work. Please, we welcome anyone who wants to come pick cherries, cut lettuce, melt cows. It is very hard, strenuous work. It's also often very seasonal. And so it is not an attractive, um, you know, it's not very attractive to a lot of American workers. And as a result, our labor force is what it is. Uh, and it will continue to be. And we need to make sure that we can access a, a legal labor force. Our farmers deserve it and our consumers deserve it. So with that, uh, I will turn it over to Alex. Well, thank you very much, all of you, for coming here today. We've heard a lot of different arguments about why E-Verify is not the best program for the United States. Jim talked about the privacy and national ID concerns, the truly terrifying national ID concerns that could arise from it. We've heard from Jesse how E-Verify will harm employees in the United States and workers, oftentimes the poor workers in the United States. And we just heard from Christy how it will affect agriculture, and a lot of those criticisms could also be applied to other employers in the United States. I'm going to take a different tact and a different criticism I'm going to say that even if you don't care about these costs, even if you think these costs are greatly exaggerated, even if you're not worried about the problem of a national ID system being used against guns or housing or anything else that you might be afraid of in the future, even then, if you just want a better interior immigration tool, E-Verify doesn't work for you. E-Verify is ineffective. E-Verify's goal the purpose of this type of program is to turn off the jobs magnet in the United States that attracts unlawful immigrants here in the first place. The vast majority of unlawful immigrants come here for work purposes. Now, to give you an idea of how big this jobs magnet is, your marginal Mexican worker with a high school degree who comes here can expect a 253% increase in wages just from coming to the United States. A 253%. In order to make it, so that the jobs magnet is turned off, you are going to have to make it so that that percentage increase in wages is equal to the cost of them coming here. 253% increase. You're going to have to have an effective enough enforcement program so that it costs as much or more for them to come here than they gain in extra wages. That's the thing that we need to realize. So unfortunately, we, or fortunately, we have some experiments about E-Verifying to see how effective it is at this. Four states in the United States have mandated E-Verify for all new hires. Arizona, Alabama, um, uh, Mississippi, and South Carolina have mandated E-Verify for all employees. And we have some information about how this has affected the jobs magnet 
for low-skilled Mexican immigrants or unlawful immigrants in these states. What we see is the E-Verify in Arizona has dampened the job magnet a little bit. The Remember, if you recall, the increase in wages for your marginal migrant is 253%. E-Verify lowered that to an only 240% increase. So this is this magic silver bullet program that's been peddled by immigration restrictionists that is somehow going to turn off the job magnet in a state like Arizona, where it is better enforced than any other state in the United States where it is mandated, they have merely been able to lower the marginal wage gains of unlawful immigrants from 253% increase to a 240% increase. That's in the best case scenario. Another reason why E-Verify is ineffective in the United States is that in places where it is mandated, it's not used that much. So in 2014, in Alabama, Arizona, Mississippi, and South Carolina, it's been mandated for 100% of new hires in these states, 100%. In Alabama, only 56% of new hires were actually run through the program. In Arizona, which is a state with the highest level of enforcement, only 58% of new hires were run through the program. Mississippi, 44%. South Carolina, 54%. And it's important to note that both Arizona and South Carolina have sort of the most intense enforcement. They try to make sure that these programs are most heavily enforced in these states. Now, it is my contention that if the conservative states of Alabama, Arizona, Mississippi, and South Carolina can't enforce E-Verify on their own employers in states where voters support generally and broadly these kind of measures, what hope is there for state or federal enforcement in places like California, New Jersey, and New York, and Illinois? where the majority of unauthorized immigrants are. I contend that there is almost 0% chance that you will get anything better than that level of enforcement on the national level if it is mandated. Worse, E-Verify, according to the last 2009 audit that we have, only a bare, about half, 54% of unauthorized immigrants run through the system are actually found eligible to work. So if you're an unauthorized immigrant and you're run through the system based on the last data that we have, you have a better than 50% chance of being work authorized to work in the United States. So there you have it. You have a system that where it is mandated is barely enforced and barely works. Even some of the most in places in the United States where immigration enforcement is most uh, important in the minds of the state government, even when it is used, it does a really poor job of identifying unlawful immigrants. So I would contend to you that if you want to face all of the costs that we've talked about, not to mention the roughly $2.3 billion in running costs if you verify to make it mandated, then um, we're the $2.3 billion cost, sorry about that, uh, of making it mandated, you have to realize that you're really not going to get anything for the money that you spend on this. I think that if we want an interior immigration system or enforcement system that works, E-Verify is not the way to go just based on these numbers of where it's been enforced right now. It says nothing about the desirability of it. It says nothing about what we should do. But I think that uh, folks need to go back to the drawing board and figure out something new and uh, cast aside or, or look for different options when taking a look at interior immigration enforcement. E-Verify is a total failure, and I don't see how they're going to make it work uh, if they mandate it federally. Thank you.